Hello, and welcome to the Celtic Life International Podcast. And on today's program, we speak with Celtic Life International's Managing Editor, Rebecca Dingwell, about our June 2021 cover story. We'll explore some news and notes from the Celtic world. We'll drop a new tune by the Dropkick Murphys out of Boston. And our exclusive interview with world-renowned jazz vocalist, who recently discovered her own Celtic roots, Cassandra Wilson. So sit back, put your feet up, pour yourself a wee dram of the good stuff, and enjoy. My name is Stephen Patrick Clare. I am the editor-in-chief of Celtic Life International Magazine, a global publication that is based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on Canada's east coast, where today the weather is still cool. It's still very spring-like here, but summer's around the corner. The sun is out, and uh, with that, I'd like to welcome you uh, to our inaugural, our debut Celtic Life International podcast, uh, also known as CLIP. As mentioned on today's program, we will be speaking with world-renowned jazz vocalist Cassandra Wilson, who recently uncovered her own Celtic roots. We'll also be debuting a brand new tune from Boston's Dropkick Murphys, who released their brand new album, Turn Up That Dial, this week. We'll pour through some Celtic news and notes. And in a few moments, we'll be speaking with Celtic Life International Magazine Managing Editor Rebecca Dingwell about our June 2021 cover story. Before we begin, however, a little bit about Celtic Life International for those who don't know. uh, As we like to say, there are 400 million Celts around the world, but just one voice. Uh, 2,500 years ago, of course, tens of thousands of nomadic Celts roamed across Europe, eventually settling along the continent's western coastline. Though without kingdom nor hierarchy, they were larger than both the Roman and Greek empires. Today, their descendants number in the hundreds of millions and can be found in every corner of the planet. So Celtic Life International magazine has been connecting that Celtic community now for more than 34 years. Our flagship publication, Celtic Life International magazine, is published six times a year in both print and digital formats, and it's home to an extensive collection of feature stories, interviews, history, heritage, news, views, reviews, recipes, events, trivia, humor, and tidbits from across all seven Celtic nations and beyond. Our website and social media channels inform and engage millions of Celts from all walks of life each month. For more information about who we are and what we do, visit our website, CelticLifeIntl.com. So that's CelticLifeIntl.com. You are also welcome to check out our sister page, CelticLife.com, where we host a marketplace for all the latest and greatest in Celtic swag. As noted, Celtic Life International Magazine is published six times a year in both print and digital formats. Our June 2021 edition, our new issue, celebrates Celtic culture with feature articles on world-renowned vocalist Cassandra Wilson, who we'll hear from a little later in the program, Scottish Rockers Teenage Fan Club, who we will tee up for our next podcast, Irish Tradsters The High Kings, Scotland's Kilted Coaches, a great profile of the Irish film Rose Plays Julie, we profile Scottish cellist Sue Lee, 
We explore summer style with Emia Couture out of Scotland, a wonderful recipe from Chef Gary McLean, that's Scotland's national chef, Gary McLean, the one and only, and much, much more. Right now, however, we're going to turn our attention to our June 2021 cover story in which we celebrate the Celtic queer community. To do so, I recently spoke with the Celtic Life International Managing Editor, Rebecca Dingwell, on what went into the making of that story. This morning we have uh, on the line Rebecca Dingwell, the uh, Managing Editor of Celtic Life International Magazine, who pieced together our uh, June 2021 cover story on the Celtic Rainbow Exploring the LGBTQ plus uh, community in the Celtic Nations. Uh, first of all, uh, Rebecca, uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. And uh, am I saying that correctly? LGBTQ plus, is that correct? Yeah, there are, I mean, there are a lot of different acronyms, umbrella terms you could use. Some people say the queer community, some people say the rainbow community. Um, one of the more recent ones I've heard kind of jokingly is the alphabet mafia, which I sort of like. <laughs> That's good. That's good for sure. What, uh, what in, you jumped all over this article when, uh, when we first brought it to the editorial meetings. Uh, why is that? Why did you just uh, dive in so, uh, you know, so deeply right off the top? Well, it's something that I have been passionate about since I was since I was pretty young. Um, I came out as bisexual when I was about mm, twenty, I would say, um, and since then it's been something that um, I've been constantly learning about. I went to a pretty um, queer-heavy university, if I could say that. Most of my friends, when I was in my undergrad especially, um, came out as queer or trans in some way. A lot of my close friends now are queer or trans, so um, I thought it was really important to highlight that that bit exists in the Celtic community as well, especially when we're looking at things like um, Celtic arts, Celtic literature, all that different stuff. Mm-hmm. What were some of the uh, the challenges involved in, in putting the article together? I think part of it, well, the first thing was that I had wanted to start off, and I did, touching on the ancient Celts, and that's always a challenge because there are very few primary resources on ancient Celts out there. For example, we know what... Aristotle said about the ancient Celts, but we don't really know what the ancient Celts said about themselves. So there is some speculation involved whenever we uh, talk about them and their culture and their way of life. Um, But I was able to find a piece by Gail Gibson, who was actually... um, I think uh, her main area of expertise is in ancient Egypt, but she happened to have done some some research on the ancient Celts and their same-sex relationships, so that was a really good stepping-off point. And from there, it was just kind of finding people who um, are not only uh, queer and existing in Celtic culture now, but are also very open about it, because if they're not open about it and posting about it online, they're a heck of a lot more difficult to to find. And obviously, we're in a pandemic. It's a difficult and busy time for everyone. So there were a lot of people I reached out to and would have loved to speak with that just 
you know, weren't able to get back to me for one reason or another. So that was another challenge. And what did you learn over the, the course of writing the, the article and researching and interviewing people? Um, it was really, really fascinating to, first of all, when I talked to uh, Norna Shopland and about her book, Hidden Lives, and that really focused on LGBT, LGBTQ history in Wales. And it was really cool to hear all the names that I had never really heard of, didn't know anything about, and as she talks about in the article, she tried really hard to focus on working class people and not just the more famous names, like we all know about, you know, Irish folks like Oscar Wilde, he's he's pretty well known and it's pretty well known that he was gay, but as for the average person who was living in those times um, that's who I would like to hear about so I I thought that that was really cool and um, she spent a lot of time researching and uncovering because obviously in history a lot of this stuff gets uh, covered up unfortunately so it, it that brings a, a challenge to the historians who are, are looking for it so it was really neat to hear about all the people that she discovered and wrote about. Mm. Uh, another thing that was interesting to me was, and even I think uh, I think musical theater is sort of briefly referenced in, in the article by one of the folks we interviewed is, you know, we think about the arts and we think about dance and we think about that as being pretty queer friendly. Like I was a theater kid. I grew up in theater. Um, mm. A lot of folks were queer. They weren't all necessarily out at the time, mm -hmm. but um, it was kind of an unspoken rule that it was a queer friendly space. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for a lot of people, places like Irish dance and Highland dance are not necessarily queer friendly mm. or, um, you know, there are still a lot of strict, uh, gender rules especially when it comes to costume and, and competition and even the the way that one has to move so um it sounds like that is slowly changing but i definitely that was something i didn't necessarily expect i had sort of put in my mind all all dance and all that sort of side of performing arts in one category mm -hmm. in my mind and it kind of assumed that um perhaps it would all be a safe space for LGBTQ people, but mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I think that's an ongoing problem in society in general. Obviously, uh, the the article, obviously, you know, the feedback so far from people has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people have just embraced it. They've shared it. Um, a lot of the uh, the folks that we had connected with uh, online in uh, in the LBGTQ plus uh, communities in the Celtic Nations were all sent copies of the article. The feedback has been overwhelming. There have been a couple of uh, not so overwhelming uh, comments and uh, some feedback as well, which I think is to be expected. But overall, uh, I take it you know, you're pleased with the response and uh, and you're happy with the, the impact that it's having. Yeah, I think it's been great. And I think the more people that can feel seen by the work that we present in our magazine, the better. I think that, um, and I think that even just from the perspective of, of readership, 
uh, it just it gives us a wider range of readership. And if if a couple of people say, oh, I'm not going to pick up the magazine anymore because they're not comfortable with that, then they're free to do that. But I mean, uh, good riddance. We have plenty of plenty of open-minded people and people from those communities who now will pick up the magazine who maybe uh, didn't know about it before, or weren't interested before. So. Rebecca, thanks very much for the time. Thank you. That was Celtic Life International Managing Editor Rebecca Dingwell on our June 2021 cover story on the Celtic queer community called The Celtic Rainbow. One of the great Celtic rock bands of the modern era, the Dropkick Murphys out of Boston, have just released their latest recording called Turn Up That Dial. It is fantastic, it is brilliant, and we are here to premiere One of the first singles off that album, this is called Middle Finger. I keep my fist raised up, full time against the world. Sometimes for the family, sometimes for the girl, yeah. You think I learned my lesson, I'm a man who's been around. But I can never keep that middle. Of course, that is Boston's Dropkick Murphys with their brand new tune, Middle Finger. Uh, All attitude from the boys from Boston. Be sure to check out their website, dropkickmurphys.com, for their promoting their brand new album, a great new, uh, fantastic release, uh, Turn Up That Dial. Speaking of fantastic, a quick shout out to our first sponsor for our inaugural Celtic Life International podcast. 
Celtic Knotworks, Celtic tradition, original design, Celtic Knotworks, CelticKnotworks.com. Be sure to check it out. A few years ago, I had the good fortune of seeing world-renowned jazz vocalist Cassandra Wilson perform at the Tiny Blue Note Jazz Nightclub in downtown New York City. Little did I know at the time that Cassandra enjoyed a Celtic connection. In fact, it wasn't until a couple of years later while I was traveling through Donegal and stopped in at McGrory's Hotel in the tiny community of Caldauch that I came across a poster of Cassandra Wilson who had performed there just months previously. Recently, I reached out to Cassandra to ask her about those Celtic roots. Here's part of our conversation. Just, just to swing back to those Irish uh, and Welsh roots, you were honored, of course, in Ireland in, in 2015 uh, with an award there as well. Yeah, that, that was actually the uh, Irish uh, Arts Centre mm-hmm. uh, Spirit of Ireland Award I got. Uh, wonderful. It was just one of the most precious awards I have received in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I embarked on a journey to uh, to embrace, begin to embrace the uh, the Irish roots, right. you know, Celtic roots, and it, it's something that I think it's important for most of us African Americans who have that ancestry. It's it's a large part, I think, of of, of you know coming to uh, um, coming. To an understanding of who you are, mm-hmm. and, and 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 finding peace with it, mm-hmm. because a great many of us have a hesitancy when it comes to acknowledging our our Celtic uh, ancestry, and I think that's a large part of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it it's not brought to the fore. It's not really discussed. It's not even not even today. It's not it's not discussed. Today, it's, it's, you know, while the, the, you know, especially in a place like Nova Scotia where racism kind of exists sort of just below the surface, it's certainly, you know, much more the norm today than it, it was at that time. Do you find the same in the States that, you know, the Irish, the Welsh, the Scottish, that, that blend with the, the African-American community is, 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 you know, maybe it's been quiet for a long time, but is maybe coming to the forefront? Uh, yeah, I think gradually it has to. You know, it's like a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to you have to, uh, you have to uh, begin to really look at how we came to be here in America as mm-hmm. Americans mm-hmm. or as Canadians. Canadians are Americans, too. That's we're, what I hear. We're North Americans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're all American, right? So um, that, that's, you know, that's something that has always uh, intrigued me. I grew up in a neighborhood where there were at least... In, in that one neighborhood, three streets, at least 100 distinctive Irish or Scots-Irish or Welsh last names. Mm. And there was no explanation for it. It was almost as if, you know, people just took it for granted. Yeah, this, we have those names, but the, there's a certain silence. You know, you don't talk about it. Because the narrative has always been that it comes from shame. Mm that it has to have come from either your slave owner or uh, some sort of rape that happened to your your foremothers. Mm -hmm. And that is one narrative, but there are other narratives. Uh, There's an interesting story behind uh, one of our, uh, uh, I think his name, yeah, John R. Lynch, 
was one of the first, uh, he may have been the first African-American uh, representative in Congress. He has a totally different story. Mm. And that's not the story that we share. So is there are instances where those communities actually came together and worked together because they did realize that they were, um, they were all being oppressed. Mm -hmm. There was a realization, you know, that for, I think, the Scots-Irish or the Irish or the Welsh that, yeah, we may be white, but it's only temporary. <laughs> you know, well we're, all, we're like recently white. Yeah. And I think that, that, that one great movie that, that illustrates that point is uh, Free State of Jones. Mm, yes. Have you seen that? Yeah, a, long, a while ago, a while ago, but yes. Yeah. So those are the stories we need to... Uh, we need to illuminate, we need to discuss, we need to, yes, the shame is there. Yes, uh, I'm sure that we got a lot of those names from the slaveholders, but some of those names we came by uh, legitimately, naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, the other common bond was that there was a common enemy with the Brits and the English and of course the dominance that they played. And that could be true of anywhere in the world. I mean, at one point, the sun never set on the British Empire. So, you know, we tend to think of slavery or of that, that shameful past as being a strictly American thing, when in fact, you know, slavery existed in Canada, it existed in Australia, existed all across Europe and other parts of the world. It's fascinating. The, uh, what I've been uh, doing some research on as of late is the... Uh, uh, the great migration to the Americas uh, from Ireland and Scotland, mm -hmm. but also to the uh, Caribbean. Yes. <laughs> Which is a whole other story that links with our story in the Americas. They are, they're also Americans, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, they were the smart ones. They chose the warmer climate. <laughs> um, when you went to Ireland, uh, was it your first time there uh, when you were in Inishowen and up in that part of the world, or had, had you been there pre previously, or to Wales? Uh, I'd gone to uh, Ireland, let's see, the first time I went to Ireland was in 1986 or something okay. like that, 87, thereabouts. I went uh, with Steve Coleman, the yep. Five Elements, I think, or, or with my band, it was either one of the two. And uh, it was to Cork. I remember it being very just green mm -hmm. and overwhelmingly green. Yes. Yes. And it so comfortable. It was just such an amazing, nothing like any, any other place in Europe that I had uh, visited. And that's when I began to think, this is familiar. Mm. The energy here is familiar to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. It's true. I, I take it that was part of the Guinness, uh, the Cork Jazz Festival. This may have been before, or it may have been the very beginnings mm -hmm. of the Cork Jazz mm -hmm. Festival. It's kind of faint to me now. Uh, I just remember going into a Shannon, flying into Shannon, mm -hmm. and seeing all the lovely shops in the airport, uh, lace and flasks. Yes. <laughs> Which is what I'm into. And Two whiskey. And whiskey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and and w did that inspire you to kind of pursue the roots? I mean, you were aware, obviously, beforehand. I'm taking it it's it's your mom's side that has the uh, um, the uh, the Celtic roots. Her last name was McDaniel, was it? Yes. And it, it, uh, the Irish roots are there, but uh, Falx is actually uh, it's an ancient uh, Welsh name. Okay. And it's uh it's interesting. It, I didn't. I really started on the journey. I think to to discover those roots in two thousand and five with Glamoured. I did an album mm -hmm. called Glamoured, mm -hmm. and this is this is after New Moon Daughter, uh, meeting Van Morrison, hanging out with him this year like ninety six, ninety seven, and then eventually uh, deciding to do something that would help me along my path. So Glamoured was that project that, mm -hmm. you know, I was reading a lot of Yeats and studying a lot of Irish folklore and just making, you know, connecting the dots, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And did you get uh, involved in any genealogy from that point on? No, not at all. I didn't get involved in, you know, then, back in 2005, it was not, you know, it was not the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they were doing any kind of DNA stuff. This is just something, I had memories of of uh, certain rituals, customs mm -hmm. that we have in the South mm -hmm. that I had all along thought were from the Yoruba or from uh, the Fon, West African, but I, I came to find out that they were actually Irish as well. Mm-hmm. Celtic, uh, certain things about the, the funerary practices, the the wake. Mm -hmm. The wake is very important for us down in in, in uh, the southern part of the United States. Mm -hmm. Sitting with the body, uh, celebrating the body, mm -hmm. here for us. Covering mirrors. These are things I started to just meditate on and try to figure out well, is that Irish or is it West African? Mm -hmm. Not human. Maybe it's both. And the belief that nature is completely inundated with spirit. Mm. That's very, that's very much a part of who I am mm -hmm. and how I was, I was uh, reared. Is to believe in all of that spirit, you know, the, the little people. <laughs> that live in the right. forest. The you know, leprechauns and the fairies and so forth. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. All of those beliefs were, it's like, it's, it's like, oh, okay, so these people believe that. Why do they believe that? Mm -hmm. Who are they? So I, I started think... to just ask questions about that and realizing that, you know, having a name and all of the people in the neighborhood having names that were actually Irish, Scots-Irish, yep. or Welsh. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is sort of passed down through, you know, the, the memory of our DNA, meaning that we carry it within us for generations and generations, and then every once in a while it sort of bubbles up. That's a great question, Stephen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think about that a lot. I'm glad you brought that up. Is it, mm. you know, is it something that we're carrying from many eons ago, ages ago, and it it's stimulated from time to time, mm -hmm. or it's activated from time to time a memory mm -hmm.
Cassandra Wilson from her 1995 release, New Moon Daughter, with a haunting version of U2's beautiful song, Love is Blindness. Be sure to check out our full profile of Cassandra Wilson in our June 2021 edition, available via our website, www.celticlifeintl.com, that's celticlifeintl.com, or via our sister site, www.celticlife.com. Again, our thanks go out to our inaugural podcast sponsor, Celtic Knotworks, Celtic Tradition Original Design, CelticKnotworks.com. I'm Stephen Patrick Clare, Editor-in-Chief of Celtic Life International Magazine. Thanks once again for joining us for our inaugural Celtic Life International podcast, our clip. We'll see you next time.